Blog Talk Radio. Aloha, welcome to Talking Pictures. I'm your host, Paul Booth. It's Thursday afternoon, and I'm very excited today because we have a filmmaker from New York who will have her SoCal premiere of a film called Creed Moria, and it's going to be playing at Dances with Films this Friday in Hollywood at 7.15 p.m. in the Man's Chinese Multiplex. Um, it's right. It's really cool for those of you that don't know. It's right next to where the Oscars are held, so there's this fun historical feel to it. Great movie theater, great festival. It's uh, third year that I'll be covering it. Luckily, think uh, second year for Talking Pictures. So this is kind of also our preview and thank you to Dances with Films. Uh, we're going to review this Friday night film. We will be reviewing more films uh, throughout the week and next weekend. So there's lots of stuff coming down the pike. But today we're going to be joined by um, film director Alicia Slimmer, and she'll be calling in any minute now. And this was a great film. It was fun. It was unique. Uh, it, there's this bad habit in LA of saying like, the film is, you know, Indiana Jones meets Star Wars with a little bit of Breakfast Club. And so a few times I'll have to do that, which I really don't like doing it, but I, I want you guys to understand the, uh, there's those films that kind of give you that really just fun, original smile. Um, and it's cool as a filmmaker when you can just say, hey, I dig this. I dig this song, so I want to use it. Or I really enjoyed this moment in my life, so I want to use it. And so this film instantly made me think of Juno because the character is quirky without being too quirky uh, or just being quirky for the sake of it. Uh, so I see here Alicia's coming through. Let me bring her on. Welcome to Talking uh, Hey there, Paul. Oh, you're here. Okay, cool. Excellent. Um, welcome. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. We uh, we enjoyed the film, as I was just telling the audience, and we uh, we love our our uh, good mutual friend, Mr. Jonah. So it's yeah. always <laughs> fun to see what he has. Um, but before I go into the synopsis, uh, I wanted to mention, it says here, uh, Moria won uh, Best Narrative Feature at CineQuest. Uh, for, for those of us that don't know or have never attended, could, um, could you just tell us what it was like to, and now, of course, of course, this is four dances with films, but I just want to hear, uh, what was it like to, you know, win an, win an award like that at, at a, such a known event? Um, you know, it was amazing because they gave me the uh, jury prize for best comedy, and who even knew it was a comedy? Um, you know, it's it's like a drama comedy, but the audience just really quick to it. So it was a complete surprise. I had flown back home uh, midway through the festival um, to go back to being a mom and living my life in Brooklyn, and um, and then. I got the tip off from one of the programmers that I should probably come back. So I flew back and my actors flew back up from 
L.A. to San Jose, and it was just really thrilling, you know, because we were we had some great competition. There were other comedies there that I really loved, and there's not a lot of festivals that actually give awards to comedies or, you know, everybody wants, like, the deep, dark, brooding, you know, thriller, you know, drama. So um, all in all, it was just really amazing. Well, that's that's excellent. And so, since this is going to be the SoCal premiere, um, was uh, can you just tell us real quick the other places it's played? Uh, yeah, it's easy. No places. Uh, we're just fresh out of the gate. Um, Cinequest was oh. our first and only festival to date, and then um, Dances with Films is um, dear to my heart because I had a short movie play here 13 years ago. And um, I just can't believe I'm back with my feature. I mean, I can believe it because it's taken me so long to make this movie. But uh, it's just, it's extra sweet now to be here again. Oh, that's fantastic. Your Dances with Films alumni. Uh, uh, that's, I've covered it three years as a journalist. This is our second year for the podcast. And I loved the first year how, many people that had previous films. I think it's really cool and really important. Um, but that's why we like having guests back on because we just don't think everything should be passing by. And uh, so that's really cool to hear that you're back with a feature. And before I just do the, uh, read the synopsis here, um, I was mentioning how before you came on that in film, we, we say, oh, this movie's Indiana Jones and Star Wars meets American Beauty and how (laughs) (laughs) amongst filmmakers, that's like a joke, right, to us almost sometimes where, um, but we, but it just seems to say it. And I, what really caught me when I received this info was uh, that the the review said uh, Breakfast Club meets Little Miss Sunshine. And I appreciated that. I mean, everybody loves the breakfast club and I love how that, it, that movie finds every generation. Um, it came out when I was five years old. And so I remember, you know, knowing that it was my older brother than me. And then now, you know, teens find that film. I thought, okay, that's pretty cool. And that's kind of like a, you know, a, a gauntlet theme put down <laughs> I thought, okay, you know, something that uh, that gets classed with the Breakfast Club and then and Little Miss Sunshine, uh, the quirkiness, which I had said before you came on, applies to your film, uh, was so well uh, drawn out. Um, and Thank you. Yo, yeah, no, and you're welcome. And uh, And also the film, right as you called in, I was talking about Juno because... I remember Juno was, uh, of course, Ellen Page had done Hard Candy, but she wasn't known the way she is now. And I just remember being so surprised by Juno. I remember that put Jason Bateman back in the scene. Um, That made us all, even though he had directed Thank You for Smoking, that made us all aware of Jason Reitman. Um, And so I really appreciated that I kind of felt like um, this movie brought me back to where I felt like when I was watching Juno and for, for everyone uh, it's, 
not the same storyline. Um, but there was just this, the way Juno felt of, you're just going to take it as, it's either going to be funny or serious because it's about a teenage girl getting pregnant. Um, you know, we remember Jason Bateman from old TV shows. And right. who's this Ellen Page girl, Michael Sarah? Yeah. Who's Michael Sarah? Um, so I'll read the synopsis, and then I definitely want to get into, uh, I've actually never gotten to interview a director who made a, f- a film that was handled so well that was quirky. So I'm really excited to do this. Thank um, you so much. I mean, like, you know, to be in the company of the movies you talk about is just thrilling on its own because, you know, Diablo Cody is quite the writer and just to be, you know, even likened to something like that because, you know, her words are so strong and, you know, I, it, I guess it is quirky, but it's, I, I just love combining the the dark comma, you know, the dark drama, tragic drama with like you know black comedy so um so i didn't i didn't come up with the movies that you know the the reviewer came up with but um like i said i'm in good company i i just i'm happy about the whole thing that's great yeah i mean i i'm uh with uh little miss sunshine i mean that was the whole the way you drew these these the family out here i think uh, what I like that you did is, um, you know, basically I'll get into the synopsis, I guess. Uh, uh, the main character is named Candy. Candy injects the fun in her dysfunctional life. Uh, when your brother is found by a neighbor naked and drunk, of a boyfriend, you have a dickhead boss, and the madness of everyday life competes with your mother's need to appear normal. You have to peek between the cracks to find the warm rays of hope. But maybe normalcy is just a construct for other people, and maybe breaking out of the institution is more important than fitting in. After years of trying to save those she loves, it's time for Candy to save herself. Breaking uh, normalcy and the construct of other people was actually the line when I read this that made me say, uh, I want to see this. So with that, uh, you had mentioned liking the dark comedy drama. Um, how many uh, drafts of the screenplay or how much more of a challenge do you feel it is that you're trying to, you know, do something that's so rare? Or do you have to just put that out of your mind while you're doing it? Yeah, I mean, you know, as a writer, you just keep writing to get it right. So I think I had 52 drafts by the time I was done with it, but I'm married to an editor. And, um, you know, the plus side of that is uh, I'm always going back to the drawing board to kind of strip it down and just make the pace funny, you know, the pace better. Um, You know, but that's also like a double-edged sword because you're never really done. You know, even as I watch the movie now, I could totally uh, go in and probably tweak a couple scenes. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know. Just maybe there aren't that many dark comedies out there. I don't know if it's really a difficult thing to do. I I grew up Irish Catholic, so the best way we handled any, anything that was dramatic, dramatic or tragic was always by laughing or drinking. So, you know, <laughs> trying to work work that reality into the movie. 
um, was kind of easy. Like, I never stay in the, you know, we have some dark moments in this movie, but we never stay there for more than a moment before you're, like, laughing because, you know, you have some sort of slapstick or something to get you out of that mood. Like, you you don't stay there long, and I guess that's how I am in life. I don't really stay in, I'm not going to stay in a painful moment long. You know, I'll probably joke my way out of it. Like, I'm a laugh riot when it comes to funerals and, and places where you really are not supposed to be uh, having a good time. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's, um, I like, I, it's, that's interesting that you say that because I think there's such a bad connotation, you know, when we were talking earlier about labels of uh, drinking with when something's tough or just drinking in general, if it's not like a wedding or a, um, birthday party and um, I've always thought it's very you made it so relatable I think by not staying with the dark um, that was going to you brought it up but that was something I was going to say that I really appreciated was that the each moment was uh, treated as itself and I think most films don't do that they kind of have to stick with okay, we have the audience laugh, so let's go for another joke, or we got them getting their Kleenex, so let's let's milk this here. And right. being able to throw some humor in um, that, yeah, you know, I think other than when, like, the funeral's going on, that, you know, you I think you do need to laugh the day of the funeral. I mean, why, why just have uh, every second be horrible. So I appreciated that for the film experience uh, that you paid attention to that. Um, something I did want to go back to, just to clarify, uh, when you said you're married to an editor, do you mean like a film editor or a copy editor or? Oh yeah, copy editor and, and oh. magazines and um, and uh, you know he runs a magazine right now, like the whole edit editorial side of a magazine and he's a wordsmith and, um, you know, he's constantly counting words. And so if he reads a script of mine, he wants the pace to be there and to be captivated and move just the way when, when you're in a movie, you know, you don't want to kind of get stuck. You want to just, you know, feel like you sat down, had an experience and where did the time go, you know, and it's like an hour and a half later. So, um, uh, okay. So he makes me a better writer. That's new. That's that's what I'll leave you with when it comes to that. I'm a well, far better writer for knowing him. That's a blessing. Um, I only wanted to clarify. I seldom our rule here is is that we don't mention ourselves. But I only asked because um, I dated a copy editor for seven years, <laughs> and so I know that blessing and. I call it the blessing of an aspirin bottle um, when you're writing because it's just like, really? Like, you can't tell me that the character worked or didn't? You're telling me about the comma? Like, I was up at 4 a.m. when I wrote that. So that's a whole, that's a really, that's really cool that you have that. I mean, what a great, uh, whatever other words. Or, you know, killing your darlings, right? Like, he's always making me kill my darlings, like, Faulkner, you know, said, kill your darlings. Right. And, you know, you, every writer has that, like, one line or one scene that you're just so married to. And it's really hard to let those moments go. But sometimes it's for the better, you know, betterment of the peace and the pace and everything, you know, to let it go. 
And and I have to say, he's an extremely funny guy. It's like there's one moment in the movie that gets the biggest laugh. And, uh, you know, I'm very proud and at the same time hate the fact that it came from him, you know, that he he suggested this line and I, I put it in there and kind of fought it, didn't really want it in there. It's a very irreverent line and um and it gets the biggest laugh every time. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what are you doing on air giving credit to other people? Come on now. You're a film I know. director. I know. All, I'm telling we you. We talked about this earlier. It's all you. You had no crew or cinematographer. Um, right. I did make you know, the work in the food props. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, you're, you know, the, the, real, the real joy is um, when you've done something, uh, just even like with this podcast and, hearing someone go, oh, that was such a cool uh, episode and that transition. And I'm like, yeah, sound editor. Yeah, that was a producer's right. idea. Yeah, that right. guess was the other producer's idea. So it's kind of, what, um, you know, uh, just what was kind of funny that you're saying, what you were saying, we did a series of, uh, where we reviewed, I reviewed Oscar-nominated films, and then I had filmmakers, film buffs, friends come on and review the film. And all their mm-hmm. episodes did better numbers than mine. <laughs> so it was so, so it was like you get excited yep. that people are listening to the show, or does that just mean everybody doesn't want you hosting? So, uh, <laughs> so I can totally relate to what you're saying. But back to your film. Um, uh, without being too personal or where you would like to go with it, um, so Candy, uh, how would you explain? Uh, how would you explain her to us? Because she's so, you know, ha- with what she has to balance and what she, um, the direction of it. I mean, how much do you feel was Candy in the writing versus that, you know, you got to work with an actress and then also edit the performance? Yeah, I didn't, I, you know, I never had to edit her performance. I mean, my cast was amazing and Steph Dawson just, you know, she is sunshiny. Uh, as a person and, and very glass half full, you know, like she's super positive and um, I marvel just watching her handle her career and everything since the Hunger Games and stuff. So, um, you know, she, the, the character is drawn to kind of just be withstanding like a lot of challenges and, and, you know, as a writer, you want to kind of keep building up the, the, the challenges and raising the risks for your character. And so, you know, she, she literally has to like, you know, the shit hits the fan for her and, you know, things get really tough towards the end. And so it was great to give, you know, this character, like just keep stacking all the odds against her and see how, she was going to get out of it and um you know it's Steph's credit she just she brings so much out of herself for the character so she's just so likable and kind of unbendable you know like somebody that's sunshiny just can't really break under all that pressure you know they still seem to rise above or you kind of root for them you know and that was my hope the audience is kind of like not sure what's going to happen but somewhere deep inside is rooting for her to like maybe break out or to you know, kind of rise above her circumstances in her crazy dysfunctional environment. So, so um, you know, it, I think it was 
there on the page, but just the way Steph brought it to life was like better than I can imagine. Um, well, that's, I thought I recognized her. Um, and it's such a, um, nowadays that's the beauty of the actors, actresses that are doing a big movie and then an indie or you really, you really see them in a lot of indie stuff over the years in festivals. And then you'll see them in an episode of Grey's Anatomy and you're kind of like, Hey, that guy was at a short at San Diego film festival last year. So I, I right, dig right. actors that, that don't just stay on the other side. Um, I mean, obviously we won't get into SAG stuff or we're not disrespecting SAG, but um, I like seeing that back and forth. Um, now I, just because I uh, mentioned it, um, or no, sorry, you mentioned like what she has to take on. Was is there anything that you can share that was uh, maybe cut out of the movie? I don't mean like an extra sibling or like kind of like a situation because that would kind of like get like was there. Was it all just trimmed off so early, or was there anything that you dealt with during production that was trimmed off? No, I, you know, the thing is, when I was when I was on Dances with Films with my short movie, that that movie was nothing like what was on the page. Um, I basically had to take the best of what I shot and kind of edit a whole movie with the footage I got, and I was so determined to try to get everything on the page with the script, knowing that I probably wouldn't, that there'd be budgetary constraints or, you know, I'd probably have to throw some things out. And, um, and I never thought this would happen. We got every shot that we wanted. I mean, like the day we shot the funeral procession, I didn't have a hearse to leave the cars. So producing the movie on my way to the set and I was driving across the Kosciuszko bridge in Brooklyn heading to Queens, um, thinking like, man, you know, it stinks, you know. I kind of want to be just a setup that kind of mood with the cars moving slowly with their headlights on and, and having this great, you know, score soundtrack behind, which, you know, we use this Gordon Lightfoot song, which everybody just loves so much. And um, on my way to set, I was like, you know what, screw it. I called the funeral home that, buried my dad over 20 years ago and uh that was near the set and you know a guy answered the phone in a very whispery tone and was like you know for a child's funeral home and I was like this is going to sound really strange I was like well first off you guys buried my dad you know uh and took care of his whole funeral and he's like oh I'm so sorry I'm like no no it's it's okay you know you know, time has passed. I've had a chance to process it all. Um, I was like, what is the guy who drives the hearse uh, for you do on his lunch break? Like, does he have a lunch break? And he was just like, excuse me? So long story short, he made a call to this guy, Angelo. Angelo called Tommy. Tommy, the driver, showed up at one, and then I got my funeral shot. So I cannot believe that I managed to get everything that I wanted on the page. You know, yeah, it there was one scene it was supposed to be at a police station and there was some law that we couldn't shoot in any police stations. Um, but we actually became friends with some 
police officers. And so, you know, we still managed to get the shot, just the location changed. So everything on the script wound up being on the screen. And I don't know if I'll ever have the luck of having that happen again. Um, so but I kind of still marvel at the fact that it worked at all, you know. But well, I, I, I love DWF with a movie that, you know, is so different than the short, you know, that was kind of made on the editing table. Oh. Well, that's fun. I love that. I just was loving that story as you were telling it, that an Angelo and a Tommy. Oh, my God. Uh, I had no idea. Like, he didn't know what I was asking, but, you know, but then once he caught on, he was like, oh, I saw you guys shooting. Yeah, I saw you around the neighborhood. Let me make some calls. And then this guy showed up and, you know, I threw him a couple uh, dollars and, you know, made it worth him his day to just come out and drive the funeral procession back and forth for like six takes and we were done. <laughs> so, you know, cool. Just, yeah. I mean, the whole, the whole process for me was charmed. Like, it still is a charmed process. I just, I don't know if it's the luck of being a first-time featured director, but um, I don't know. It was just a lot of magic surrounding the cast, the production, and then, you know, just I'm having so much fun with the festivals now and just meeting people and getting the movie out there. So, um, you know, I'm, I'll have a lot more war stories, I'm sure, with my next one, you know? Well, it's it's, it's awesome that you get to... Uh, have your, I mean, being in New York to have your film play in LA. And um, I know I lived in Hawaii. The first thing I ever produced was uh, when it played LA, that just seemed like it was playing in London because I'm from Hawaii. So it was like, you know, anything that was out of the state seemed, uh, you know, like you'd won the Sundance Film Festival. But um, right. that's really cool. Because has, if for those that you that don't know, um, and again I should have said this earlier, or actually I think I think I said it right before you came on. Um, it's gonna play uh, tomorrow at 7:15 p.m. Uh, down at uh, Dance with Films. It's held in uh, in the Man's Chinese Six Multiplex. Uh, it's right next door to where the Oscars are held. You literally um, go up the steps. <laughs> of the Oscars and so it's a really cool historical feeling um there's um it's just I mean they have kind of really obviously made it very touristy but it's cool because you get to hang out and meet other filmmakers um so again Friday night 7 15 p.m uh at Dances with Films tell your friends uh and if you know if you're close or you know this film is worth um a drive-in if you're in the vicinity and it's always fun to go to that theater. So, um, you know, and also tell your friends. I mean, Dances with Films, of course, uh, for those that don't know, our audience um, is a very big festival. And it goes on for, I think, like 12 days. And I think this is their 19th year. So, yeah. Um, they, yeah, yeah, and they also out. have alumni. Come so, out, come meet the um, cast. And, and the it's and the cool thing is, some... oh, sorry, did, were you saying something? No, I was just saying, like, it'd be so great to meet people. If they come out, you know, come say hi, you know, like, we, we love meeting the audience and giving out little SBDE buttons and, um, you know, swag. So 
come support the indie film Primoria. Oh, that's awesome. Because I was going to say, I, um, are you going to be doing a Q&A? We are, yeah. And um, a lot of my actors are live out here. And uh, the act, one of the actors who plays Danny in the movie, he just flew in from New York today. So, um, yeah, it'll be fun. My costume will be there because, you know, loosely set in the 80s and the costumes were a big part of it. Oh, excellent. So, so again, as you guys heard at Q&A, those are always fun when they're, um, when it's more than just the director or, um, I can tell that you enjoy people. And, and sometimes when I have those Q and A's, I, I'm not knocking anyone, but when they have those Q and A's and the director just gives like one word answers and you're just kind of like, you know, we, we knew you directed it or, you know, that was a fun day. You know, so it's like, um, so this sounds cool. This is really interesting because we're going to be coming out for it. Um, and uh, this is going to be exciting because I was, as I was watching, I was thinking, oh, I don't want to be that guy that asks the director every single question and tries to get them to remember everything about the costume <laughs> or this choice. And um, so that's, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, music. No, but we love that guy. We love that guy because sometimes there's no questions, right? So you're actually, oh, right. anytime <laughs> someone asks a question, it, it saves you, you know, it's a good thing. Oh, right. oh no, that's true. <laughs> there is that, there is that guy where it's just like, oh yeah, it, it, it could go either way. He could be good or it could be like, hey, there's other people here too, right? Like, that is, a, yeah, that's always a fun part. That should be like a documentary, like the Q&A guy. <laughs> Um, you're, so the music was obviously a huge part and, uh, I don't, I'm not going to spoil it or talk about what was used or wasn't, but what is your, you, do you just have that basic tremendous love of music or do you have some kind of other attachment to music that had you play, it plays such a big role? Like I was a roadie with Led Zeppelin back in the day. Um, <laughs> I, love, I love music so much. Um, you know, the truth is I tried to go the very cheap route and retrofit today's music um, to fit the movie. And I was working with a great guy for a while trying to do that with, like, new bands and stuff. And, um, you know, it just it wasn't working because, honestly, I've had the same Creed Moria soundtrack in my head. Um, with amazing bands like, you know, The Cure or I'm not going to call the Flock of Seagulls an amazing band, but they did have one amazing song that we got the rights for for the festival. And, um, like, you know, I've had the same soundtrack on my iPhone for as long as I've been working on getting this movie made. So at one point I was like, let me just go back and revisit it. And when I cut the music to the, to the scenes, um, you know, and there's 16 very popular songs from the 70s and 80s in the movie, it just works so much better. So uh, I just found a badass um, licensing woman who came on board and helped me secure like, the rights for using the music um, for our festival run. So it's made all the difference because to me, it's it is like it goes hand in hand with the picture, you know, like it wouldn't be the same movie without that soundtrack. Like I needed that, I needed that exact soundtrack. So 
that is a that is a um you know blessing to obviously to yourself um and that you found the licensing person because that's i think i mean a lot of people so many people it's that constant i remember uh film school everybody's like you know oh we'll fix it in post we'll fix the sound in post or we'll just pick another song and it's like no they don't i i, I find it odd that people still don't realize how much or that how sound and music is 50% of the experience and they don't get yeah, to like you know, that like, song. Yeah. But everybody, you know, the one advice everybody told me and that I've heard forever is don't use popular music, you know, and um, because you have to secure the world rights if you get distribution deal and blah, 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 blah. And uh, that's true. I mean, I think it's, it's a risky way to go, but my dream is that someone will think that you can't separate the two and, you know, champion this movie to to be seen with the, the soundtrack that it has because, um, you know, it's like you said, it's you can't have really one without the other, you know, and, uh, and it was important for me to see the movie I wanted to see and have people see the movie I wanted to make, so... At the end of the day, I'm so happy with the movie, and I'm just going to enjoy the next year or so of just bringing it around the country and you know, hoping people come out and see it. Well, you, uh, with your love of music uh, and inspirations, do you, I mean, it's it's so, uh, like when we were talking about craft services, is, I mean, to me, I felt also like I was watching a Cameron Crowe film because the music, like you're saying, it did feel essential. And when you hear those big songs, you go, wow, that's cool that an indie got it. And um, because I think of, I mean, obviously for Cameron Crowe, for obviously for the folks that don't know, because we love to think that younger people are always discovering and you can discover something new every day about film. I mean, to be a Rolling Stone journalist when you're 16 and to hang out with David Bowie and Jimmy Page. And so that's obvious why he can get all the songs he gets. Um, uh, I mean, obviously earned that right. But do you have, yeah, uh, and, like, and, you and have I'm a love he, for Jerry Maguire and Almost Famous and all those films? I do. I mean, I love Cameron Crowe. I, I mean, I'm there's really no bigger Zeppelin fan out there. I'm actually having this interview with you from my – Oh, from our coffee shop, right? You know, you and me are having coffee, but I'm staying at the Riot House, um, which I just love. <laughs> I love back. It. You know, like I've, I'm such a Jimmy Page fan, and um, I'm reading two autobiographies at the moment, one on Page and one on well, biographies, one on Page and one on Plant. The Page one's not really authorized, but um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I just, I think... Cameron Crowe should just make more movies, you know. I think he does a perfect one. And the fact that he gets the right is, rights is great, you know. I want to be one of those filmmakers that gets the rights because I have very ambitious movies that I want to do and projects I want to do, and music's always going to be a huge part of it. So, um, you know, people that leave the theater talk to me about how much they love the music because either they grew up listening to it themselves or their parents did, you know. So... Uh, it's a very familiar soundtrack, and 
Um, you know, I just think if we lived in a day when you could actually buy movie soundtracks, you know, that it was like this, this thing, you'd go to Tower Records and you'd buy, you know, the almost right. famous soundtrack. Like, like I think I've got, like, one of the most kick-ass soundtracks ever, you know? <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, almost famous um, soundtrack is, is superb. Um, Bowie's I'm Waiting for a Man and, uh, or Waiting for the Man, um, Elton John's Tiny Dancer. I mean, that was, uh, yeah. and I love how you can go back to, even though he only wrote Fast Times at Ridgemont High, um, the soundtrack for that is amazing. Amazing. Um, yeah, well, totally. Rich, yeah, and Richard Linkletter, too. You know, like, Linkletter also has, what? like, really good soundtracks, you know? Right. It's, yeah, it's so, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I love that. Uh, what just happened with us is a, is a total Cameron Crowe moment. Whenever two Cameron Crowe fans talk, it's, it's so, <laughs> like, you just, you, there's so many moments and things you think of and things you relate to and things you can't admit you relate to. And, and this one little song just went perfect with that shot. And then he transitions to another song. And um, Elizabeth yeah. Town had a great soundtrack. The way he was learning to fly with, Orlando Bloom's uh, moments of failure. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's a his. He's got a great music supervisor, uh, Danny Danny Bramson, I think it is. Um, that's probably one of the only music supervisors that I've always wanted to meet because I've thought it must be really cool to sit down and go over how you're going to do. Yeah. Uh, the soundtrack with a Cameron Crowe movie. Um, yeah. But yeah. Now, do you, oh. since since we have to do it, we all, I always ask, do you have a favorite Cameron Crowe film? Do you always ask that question? The, the of, a Cameron Cameron Crow? Crow, of a fellow Cameron Crowe fan. Oh, uh, that's so funny. Um, no, it it has to be almost famous because Billy Crudup standing on the roof going, you know, like, I'm the king. <laughs> you know, like, I'm so wasted. And, you know, them just being on the bus and, like, you know, ever here. Anytime I get to hear Led Zeppelin over a movie, it's exciting, you know, and I'm I'm glad that we don't really hear it that often and it's precious because um I think they're precious, but uh yeah, it'd have to be almost famous. For those of you out there, Almost Famous is on Netflix, but please do yourself a favor. It's starting to show up in libraries now. I can't believe that film's fifteen years old. There's a two disc director's cut that's called the bootleg cut and the front of it looks like an album and it's a two hour and 45 minute version of what is a two hour theatrical release and there's just so much more great music and um it's it doesn't surprise me that you are that you really like that film because uh you know for any music fan or film fan uh creed moria is going to be a real treat for you because I was really, as I watched the film, I was excited because I was thinking, I don't want to get too much into the soundtrack because I like music so much. I don't want to make the entire talk about the music because it is about you as a filmmaker and the directing. So um, did you have, uh, I mean, like you said, there's certain scenes that go with that song. Um, not to knock indie bands, there are great indie bands, and there are great. Uh, there's great music everywhere. Um, do, do you do, did you have any moments in the film that don't spoil anything where 
there was more music and you pulled yourself back or was this pretty much just fit with what you saw from, from the get go? No, I mean, I, I definitely, I, I had, I shot three different scenes where like the actors were actually um, either singing along to the specific song, um, you know, one by Book of Love and one by Zebra um, or dancing to it or playing air guitar. And I didn't know if I would ever use them. And so I kind of used like picked up bits and pieces, but I'm glad I shot it just because, um, you know, we, we shot, we would shoot those things pretty much MOS and then just, you know, have the music playing so the actor could kind of react to the actual song. And I, you know, I never knew if I could get the right split song anyway, but, um, you know, that was, that was, it, I don't know. I think it just, it gave something to the performance. And even though I didn't use a lot of those cuts, I used kind of bits and pieces. And, you know, the one bummer for me was because I was acting as my own music supervisor, I cut, a, I cut this one scene where the mother's coming up in slow-mo and she's really angry to Aerosmith's back in the saddle, you know, and has this crazy bass in the beginning and then, you know, Steven Tyler's like, I'm back. And it's just yeah, like, I love that intro. And um, we couldn't get the rights because the bandmates, they're all fighting. And, you know, even though, like, one of my co-producers' friend is best friends with Steven Tyler and we showed him clips of the movie and how that song just, like, fits so perfectly. And I had to, had to, had to have the song. Um, I, I didn't get the song. So it was just, like, way too ambitious. Couldn't have it. So, uh, well, that's a that's a great choice. That's such a great choice of um, just that I know the character or have seen the character and know what she goes through. That that's that's a cool observation by you. Um, and yeah, it is. I guess it would be tough with those bands where they only talk to each other on stage now and right. and literally don't talk probably just plug in because they're so used to it and then fly out um that would have been cool because we all know one of our favorite movies uh is dazed and confused and like i couldn't see that movie starting out without uh sweet emotion play right. yeah exactly. that baseline in that car just somehow richard link later figured you know and of course you know aerosmith talking pictures yeah. Uh, yeah. opinion is that Aerosmith goes good with marijuana when we when we did that yeah. when we were younger so um so that that's cool really pack in the saddle wow <laughs> thank you for sharing that story yeah. um I love that tune um so let's see we're gonna say again uh nice we're gonna have a nice Q&A with Alicia and her cast and costume designer at Dances with Films uh, tomorrow night, June 3rd at 7.15 p.m. Um, I, I forgot to look. Um, does Dances with Films do any repeat screenings, or do you just have the no. one? No, they just have the one, and I guess to their credit, because the theater is so amazing, and I, it has, you know, I think like 400 or something seats. It's kind of great, you know, to just, like, try to make this, critical mass moment, you know, to get people there on that one on that one day instead of splitting it up and you know, so it's just tomorrow. 
Tomorrow's your only well, chance, LA, to ever come out and see Creed Moria. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's Dances with Films is one of those festivals. I can honestly say that um, the, the worst movie I saw there was good. It was just oh, purely not my taste, right? Right, that's awesome. So, so it wasn't even that it was bad. So I tell people, like, Dances with Films and Newport Beach, there's a couple of festivals where you, you get out there and you're talking to filmmakers, and and and, and, it, and it, I understand, you know, as filmmakers, it is cool when we win an award or this or that, and, and, and I'm being on the film journalism side now, it's nice to be able to say, you know what? there's so many people that want to play this festival like and play in this theater and in this building that like, it's just cool that you're in. Like, yeah. Um, being backstage is fun. If you don't meet Mick Jagger, Oh, well you're backstage. <laughs> like, so um, I think that's awesome. And uh, we definitely look forward to checking it out. I'm going to be bringing some, uh, some of our production team of the podcast is going to be coming no out. Yeah. Yay. Yes. Yeah. So, um, it'll, we're going to well, have a nice little, thank you so little... much, Paul. Oh, no, you're, you're welcome. Um, I, unfortunately the other day I started watching the film and then something, uh, somebody needed something from me personally and I, and I thought, you know, I, I never really like doing that to filmmakers because I feel you might come back in a different mood or something. Right. And, and so I just thought, okay, this is, uh, you know, all right. And so I basically just restarted it and thought I'm not going to bring, let, let what I know come in. And so that was, I was able to just have a very nice from the beginning. So when I saw it, then I said, said Hey, you know what, I want to bring a couple to the couple people to this and, um, you know, it's like we said earlier, it's always nice to see uh Mr. Jonah and uh so that's another great incentive. So yeah, so we're we'll be out and um we we thank you for coming on today and our our last thing is is if you wanna tell us do you have a website or a Facebook page? Yes, I have all of the above. Um okay. you know it's Creed Moria, across, across the board, C-R-E-E-D-M-O-R-I-A, uh, CreedMoria.com, CreedMoria on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, you know, I think I have all five followers on Instagram, so come find me. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you reach out any way you can. And, um, Paul, this has been so much fun, and I'm just delighted to get to know you, and thank you for having me. And for liking the movie and letting me have a chance to talk about it a little bit. Thanks so much. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome anytime. And we let guests know that uh, we hope, uh, you know, that the next film they make, they come back. We've had a couple of guests who've come back with their next film. So um, we call it a uh, talking pictures, family tree. We just say it's adding on another cousin. So um, it's, we get just as much joy as we hope the filmmakers do. And so, yeah, so it will uh, be a lot of fun and uh, look forward to uh, meeting you tomorrow night. Awesome. 
Me too. All right. Well, you Thank have a wonderful you. evening and enjoy the. Best day ever. Okay. Enjoy the buzz. Thanks. The Thank natural you so one. Much. <laughs> All right, Paul. <laughs> yeah. I'll Take see you care. tomorrow. Thank you. Right. Bye. Bye. Uh, that was Alicia Slimmer, director of Creed Moria. Dances with Films is so much fun. I really hope you guys come out or tell your friends in Hollywood. If you're listening to this and you're like, I'm in New York, call up your Hollywood buddies. If you're in Hawaii, tell your Hollywood buddies. This is just a fun, quirky film. Um, you know, it, it, it makes us laugh at a dysfunctional family, not judging them, but we got to laugh. We all have dysfunction. I don't know what's funnier that the dysfunction that we all have or that we pretend we don't have it. And so this is just a nice, this film is a nice time. It's well-made. It meets all the criteria of being a well-made film. So I don't got to talk the talk of, you know, the camera angles are just right and it's tempoed. I'm a filmmaker who loves film. I'm not a film critic. I'm here to enjoy and let you guys know about stuff to enjoy. So once again, come out to Creed Moria tomorrow night. Dances with Films, 7.15 p.m. in the Man's Chinese Six. And if you haven't been, you'll get to see be by where the Oscars are. So it's fun and it's happening and we can't wait to see you guys there. I'm going to sign off like I always do, whether you listen to this in the morning, afternoon, or night. Make sure and watch a good movie today. Aloha. <laughs>